Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we are so glad you are with us today. And happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our moms. I know that later today, I'm going to hang out with my mom. We're going to have dinner together, and so we're looking forward to that. And if any of you know my mom, uh, you know she's a real big cut-up. Uh, she's just always been a kid at heart. And uh, on Saturday mornings, when I was five or six years old, uh, what I watched every single Saturday was professional wrestling. Um, I wanted to be Dick the Bruiser or Bobo Brazil, and I would jump off the couch uh, trying to be this wrestler. And uh, when commercial would come, though, my mom uh, would actually stand in front of the television and she would go, you want to wrestle? And then she literally would attack me. Um, I think, you know, Child Protective Services should have came a couple times. And she would start wrestling me until she finally, like, got me down on the ground. And she loved to pin me. And uh, she always said, I'm the real Dick the Bruiser. And this week, I actually got a picture of her. And she acted like Dick the Bruiser. And uh, I think we have a picture. Yeah. And so I was telling her about this as we took this picture. And she said, one last thing before you leave today. I was like, OK, Mom. And I thought, you know, it's going to be about getting something for her for Mother's Day. And she said this. She goes, I'm 83 and I can still pin your butt. <laughs> and I was like, welcome home. You know, like, wow. Hey, I realize and I'm keenly aware that for some of you, uh, Mother's Day doesn't have that same feeling that I just expressed with my mom. Because with Mother's Day, it comes with a lot of different emotions. And for each one of you, you bring that. For some of you, uh, you want to be a mom. You've been waiting to be a mom, and that just hasn't happened yet. And today's kind of a heavy day. And maybe then for others of you, the reality is, is that you have a relationship with one of your kids right now that is kind of strained. And there's some distance and there's some loss that's in the middle of that. For others of you, uh, the truth is that there may be something within you that you've chosen not to have children. But every time this day comes, you kind of feel like a second class citizen. And people are looking at you like, well, in this culture, you know, by this age, you should have kids. And you feel that way. Maybe for some of you, you actually terminated a pregnancy uh, in your past. And every time this day comes, there's some sense of guilt that kind of comes into your life. Maybe for others of you, today's so difficult because your mom is no longer here. Um, you've lost her, and there's pain within this day. Maybe for others of you, the truth is, is that you have a child that you lost as a mom. And every time Mother's Day comes, you think about not having that child with you. Folks, I don't know what it is that you might be dealing with today but this is what I really want you to know. And that is, is that this is home. And regardless of what this day looks like for you, 
That when Jesus actually went to the cross and he died so that the church would exist, he existed and the church exists so that we can encourage and love one another and to know that we are always, always welcomed in his family. Now, I realize that for some of you, that you are pregnant right now. And you're looking forward to rocking in a rocking chair like this with your little baby, or you have a little baby, you have a COVID baby, and uh, you're really excited because during COVID you had this child and you're looking forward to rocking them, and you're launching your family out, and you're so excited about that. And I rejoice with you, and I celebrate with you that gift as well. But what I need you to know is that much of parenting really is not a Hallmark card experience. Much of parenting does not really look like that. In fact, I saw a study this week in which they um, uh, did a a study with uh, new parents, moms, and they gave them 19 different things for them to rank what they enjoyed the most uh, about household items and chores and things that they had to do. And taking care of children was one of them. But check this out. Taking care of your child was not the number one thing on the list that young mom said. In fact, it wasn't even number two. Look to the person beside you and guess. 19 items. What number was taking care of children? Go ahead. Ask them real quick. Those of you on the stream, do that as well. Well, here's the number. It was 16th. 16th on the list. It was behind exercising, food preparation, talking on the phone, looking at Facebook, television, and even behind house cleaning. You know, when my youngest or my oldest daughter Jordan was born, I kind of romanticized what parenting was going to be like. I had this idealistic picture of what was going to go on. I had this image that I would rock her in this rocking chair all the time. And she would look up to me and she would coo and she would giggle and she would look at me and there would be all of this joy coming out of her life. And I imagined that one day she would learn to walk and to talk and she would always only look at me and say, Daddy, I love you. You are the best daddy in the world. And I had this image that she would always want to hold my hand wherever we would go. And in the fifth grade, we pulled up the first day of school and I'm getting ready to walk her up to class. And I put my hand out and this is what she said. Dad, it's fifth grade. I don't want you to hold my hand anymore. And all of a sudden, I was like crushed. And I got back in the car and I went off and I had all this disappointment. But I have a younger daughter who I love much more. And her name is Shiloh. And she said, Daddy, on the first day of fifth grade, I'm not going to be like Jordan. I'm going to hold your hand every day. You can walk me up. And we did every day until two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, I pull up to the school. She's getting ready to get out. And she said, Dad, 
You're not holding my hand today, bud. That's over. I'm going to walk up with Ruthie. Ruthie? Who's Ruthie? Where was Ruthie when your diaper was all messed up? Like, where was Ruthie when all of these things were going on? Ruthie this and Ruthie that. Well, I'm sick and tired of Ruthie right now. Now, this is my disappointment. And I kind of had a little tear as she walked up. But this is what I know is true about some of you. Your disappointment is much greater than a fifth grader choosing no longer to hold hands. Some of you have disappointment that's real, that is hurtful. There's pain, there's something, and this day creates that for you. And for some of you, there's a sense that as you sit there, you can't remember the last time that your parent loved you, touched you, held your hand, did something to express love. Your mom didn't. Your mom doesn't do it. Your dad doesn't do it. Uh, for some of you, you can't remember the last time that one of your parents said, "You know what? I'm proud of you," and they really meant it just because you were their child. So today. I want to talk about something that I think we all can relate with, and it's this. Where do you go with a heart that's disappointed? Where do you go with a heart that's disappointed? Whether you're a parent or not, we all have experienced this before, of having a heart that deals with disappointment. We all experience this. Now, today, we're going to look through the lens of what it means to have a a heart that's disappointed as a parent. And for all of our parents, this is what I want you to know. And it's our big idea this morning, and it's this. God understands the heart of a parent. God understands the heart of a mom and what you're going through today. In the book of Hosea, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, Hosea is a prophet, a guy who speaks uh, on behalf of God. And as he hears from God and he writes God's word, God is trying to talk about his relationship with his kids, the Israelites. And he does this by painting a picture of a father and the children, a parent and a child. And what's connected to it is disappointment. And in starting in chapter 11, verse 1, we read this. God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And every single parent knows what that's like. When they're a baby, when they're little, you're you're their world. You know what it is. I loved them. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You might remember that they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And God delivered them. And he takes them to this promised land. And then it goes on. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. If you're a parent, you know this. They sacrificed to the Baals, that is, these wooden gods, uh, not the one true God. And they burned incense and images It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Now, uh, Ephraim uh, is just a nickname that God had for his kids. We all have uh, nicknames for our kids, uh, kind of words of endearment, uh, kind of names of endearment for our kids. And God, his kind of word of endearment, the name that he had for them was Ephraim. And he says this, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. 
taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them? In other words, he's like, I should bring some judgment on these people because I'm their parent, I'm their father, but they're disobeying me and they're rejecting me. What is the cost for them rejecting me? And it goes on to say, because they refuse to repent, swords will flash in their city. In other words, he says, the cities that they're in, there's going to be violence because they have disobeyed me. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn away from me. Again, if you're a parent, you understand this. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. Now, this is an extraordinary insight from the God of the universe because he explains and he understands the heart of a parent. I mean, if there is anyone who understands disappointment as a parent... It is God himself because you disappoint God. I disappoint God. All of you on the stream, we disappoint him. He understands what this feels like. In fact, God's heart is so inward that it sounds something like this. I I called these people my children. They were Israel. They were Nothing special, though. They were just a bunch of ragged slaves. But I took them out of slavery and I just loved them. And every single one of you who's a parent, you understand that. This is God's heart towards his people. I taught them how to walk. I held them. I cuddled them as a parent does. I bend down. I played with them. I did shoots and ladders forever with these kids. How could they not know me? How could they not know it was me? But my children don't. And they run after these other gods, these Baal gods, things that we might call today success or money or self or sex or pleasure. My kids have gone rogue. They have gone bad. You know, I thought our relationship was going to be so different. I kind of thought they were going to be straight-A students, that they were going to be the type of kids who, you know, always got all the accolades, that they were going to play varsity, they were going to have a top college or a top trade school, but it didn't work out that way. It doesn't look that way at all. And in this scripture, what we find is that God is like pouring out his disappointment of being a parent. And every single one of us who's a parent has experienced this. And this is what I want you to know this morning if you're a parent. That if God understood disappointment, what makes you think that you're above disappointment with your own kids? If he experienced it with his kids... How can you not? So we read God's words in Hosea and we kind of wonder what is going to happen? What's God going to do? Is he going to say, I'm done with you? I'm over you? I don't want you anymore until you have some success in your life. And then God goes on. And this is the turning point of the scripture 
when he says this. But how can I give up on you, Ephraim? And every single parent's heart knows this. How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined? I can't even bear to think such thoughts. This is God talking. My insides turn in protest, and so I'm not going to act on my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? Because I think their attitude's going to change. I think their behavior's going to change. I think that they're going to get it all together. Nope. Because I am God and not human. I'm the Holy One and I'm here in your midst. The people will end up following God. And so folks, what you see is the struggle that's going on. But it's not between God and some other force. It's not even between God and His kids. His struggle is internally. The Scripture said that his insides churn. He has this struggle going on. Folks, God understands the pain of rejection. And the way that usually works in our world, though, is if you reject me, then I'm going to reject you. But God says, I cannot do this to you. I am holy. I am your creator. I do not get rid of my creation. And do you know why he doesn't do that? Because he loves you. He loves everyone in this section. He loves everyone in this section. He loves everyone in this section. He loves everyone in the balcony. He loves every single person on the stream. That's why he doesn't ever walk away. When my girls were little, uh, we used to read this book to them all the time. And I thought that we could go ahead and uh, have a little read with Chris today. And uh, what this book is about is the promised love between a mother and a child. So let's take a little read with Chris. The story goes like this. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The baby grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was two years old and he ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelves. He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator and took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at night, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of the bed, and if he was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The little boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was finally a grown man. And his mom would still sing to him, I'll love you forever. I'll like you always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, that mother, she got older. 
She got older and older and older, and one day she called up her son and said, You'd better come see me because I'm very old and sick. So her son came to see her. When he came in the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and sick. The son went to his mother. He picked her up and rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang this song, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy, you'll be. When the son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. Then he went into a room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. He picked her up in his arms and very slowly rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you always. As long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. You know, that song continues to be sung generation after generation. People are born, people die, and yet the song goes on and on. I looked at the author's background, who's an amazing children's writer. His name's Robert Munch. But his life is not a Hallmark card life whatsoever. He was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. And he writes about when he was in the fifth grade that his depression got so bad that he remembers thinking, I don't think I want to live. Fifth grader. And then... Partly to kind of medicate himself, he became an alcoholic. And that went on for a while until finally he got into AA, similar to our Celebrate Recovery program that meets on Tuesday, and he got some healing for his life. And he met a young woman, and the two of them got married, and joy flooded back into his life. And his wife got pregnant, and she gave birth to a baby. But the baby was a stillborn. Then she got pregnant again. She gave birth to another little baby. And that little baby was a stillborn. And then she didn't get pregnant anymore. And he never got to see or hold his two little babies or to be their dad. Now, he's an amazing children's writer. And one day he said this little song came to his mind. I'll love you always. That's where the song came from. For those two little children, he would never raise. But then the thought came to him one day. I could write a story that is better than life. A story where love is stronger than death itself. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. That every single one of us as parents, we think to ourselves that if I just put enough love into them, if I just pour enough into them, if I encourage them enough, 
if I help them not to be afraid or to be anxious or to be overwhelmed, that they'll become strong and they'll do the right things and everything will be fine and they'll have wonderful families and they will continue to love me forever. And we think that's the way it works. But the reality is the day comes where we finally realize I can't program that type of kid and it doesn't happen that way. Folks, God understands the heart of a parent. He understands what you're going through. And no matter what season that you're in right now, He reminds us, He reminds you, I'm with you and I love you always and forever. I'd like to close by just giving you real quick two practical things that you can do when your heart is disappointed. Now, for some of you, you're like, well, I'm not a parent. I'm not. I'm telling you, this will help anyone with whatever disappointment they have. Just two things that you can apply to your life. The first one is this. Talk to God about your disappointed heart. Don't keep it to yourself. Talk to God about your disappointed heart. There's a mom that I know who was uh, sharing with me that she had a meltdown day. And if you're a mom, you can understand this, that sense of having a meltdown day. She said this. She said the kids were behaving badly. There were spills everywhere. Uh, There was stuff that was broken. The place was a mess. They were throwing tantrums. And all of a sudden they're yelling and I start yelling at them. She said, I was so mad at them. And then I started getting mad at myself because I started feeling guilty because of yelling back at these little kids. And she finally said, that's it. Everybody go outside and play. And her little four-year-old son came and looked up at her and said, are you angry at me, mommy? And she said, no, I'm not angry at you. I'm just happy we're going outside. Can't you see my smile? And then the little boy said this, but mommy, your eyebrows are still angry. (laughs) Folks, there is no mom that can manage her eyebrows. And you know the sad thing about the church sometimes? is that we think we have to manage our outside. And we have to walk into church, and the outside has to look like it's all together. And there can't be any addiction in our family. There can't be any conflict that's going on in our family. There can't be any struggles going on between our kids and us because we're trying to manage our eyebrows. We're trying to manage what's on the outside. Folks, I want you to know that this is a place where there are no perfect people. In fact, this is a place where there are no perfect people allowed. The church is a place where there are broken people that come together 
And the potter loves us so much that he works on the spinning wheel no matter what's going on in your life. And you are welcomed and you are loved right where you are. Everybody is welcome. And so today on Mother's Day, don't walk through the day trying to manage your world Share your disappointment to God today, whatever it is. Grieve it. Talk to God about it. Cry over it. Allow Him to dry your eyes. But be honest wherever you're at in life with the disappointment that might be in your heart. And then here's one more thought that you can take with you. Don't let disappointment somewhere... Blind you to the good elsewhere. Don't let disappointment somewhere in your life blind you to the good that is elsewhere. Folks, in every single person that you lock eyes with, guess what? They're going to do some stuff that's going to disappoint you. Every human being in my life has disappointed me at some point. And I have disappointed every single human being that I know. But the danger is, is that you and I might begin to start looking at people in such a way that not only what they do disappoints us, but we begin to start looking at them as a disappointment. When all I see is that I don't, disagree, or I, don't dis, or I don't agree with you, I disagree with you wholeheartedly, and you're wrong, and I think you're wrong, and you're messing up all the time. Once I start communicating in that kind of way, that you are a disappointment to me, that relationship starts to die. And this can happen in our families, this can happen at work, this can happen in any relationship that we're going through. And nothing else can make up for that. Folks, part of what love is, is asking and seeking God in such a way to say, God, help me to see this person beyond what disappoints me. You know, Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament is considered one of Jesus' closest friends. He said it best when he said this, love always looks for the best. Love always looks for the best. And this doesn't mean that we have to live in denial, but rather it says, God, would you help me to see the people around me The way that you see them. And folks, I'm telling you, this is easy to do. You can do this today. You can look at someone and say, you know what? I like your eyes. I like your smile. I like your sense of humor. I like your creativity. I like the way that you're organized all the time. I say that to my wife all the time because she's organized and I'm disorganized. Like we're not sure what Mother's Day is going to look like. I'm cooking. Pray for my wife. 
But you can do this, folks. You can walk through your day every day, starting today on Mother's Day. And you can love always. You can always look for the best. And I pray that you would do that today. Because nothing is more powerful than to live a life where you're constantly saying to yourself and living out with others, love always looks for the best. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. And God, we thank you so much that you always think the best about us. We are blown away that even when we disappoint you, you never walk away from us. And God, on Mother's Day, if there's someone here who's holding a grudge toward their mom or unforgiveness, God, would you convict us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit to empower us to forgive. Bless the moms that are in this room, the moms that are on the stream right now. Help them to know that we look to them to be the ones who will always look for the best. And maybe for some of you, you don't have a relationship with God right now. And the truth is, is that you've kind of drifted away. You're here today, but the only reason you are is because your mom kind of roped you to come. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I thought today was about Mother's Day. But as you sat here, all of a sudden something's kind of churning in you. That's like, I need to get right with God. And God says, come home, come home. I always look for the best. I'll love you for always. You'll always be my son. You'll always be my daughter. Come home. And so today... If you're ready to surrender your one and only life to God, to be able to say, God, you who are my heavenly parent, my father, I come to you today and I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need a relationship with you. Today is the day that I turn away from my sin and I turn toward you. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you in a prayer. But it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself. It's a prayer that we pray together all in community. You're not alone. God is with you. We're with you. And I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, today I give my life to you. Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.